Hello, and welcome to the second chapter. I'm your host, Kristen Duffy, and I'm here to remind you that it's never too late to start your next chapter and to share stories of interesting and insightful women who may just inspire you in your current chapter. This is the last episode of season eight. We'll be back February 28th. This week, I'm speaking with Stephanie Oram. When COVID lockdown squashed her fledgling business, a recruitment agency aimed at helping over 50s get back into the workplace, Steph started writing. The result, Wax Whips and My Hairy Bits, an erotic comedy of errors, has been as high as number two on Amazon's bestseller list and has started a whole new chapter for Steph. That just got me thinking, wouldn't it be funny to take book like that and just turn them on the head? So make them funny, but with a, a body positive heroine who knows her own boundaries and isn't afraid to say no. And that's where the idea for wax whips and my hair bits came from. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining me on the second chapter. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And it's a pleasure to be here today. Stephanie, I'm so excited to have you here. How's your New Year starting out? Yes, January was a long month, wasn't it? It definitely was. 672 days. That's how many I've heard. (laughs) No, it felt like 673. Yeah, it's been a fab start to the new year. I was in the Daily Mail. Check me out. Had some good publicity. I'm starting writing a new book. So I just need to motivate myself as you do. So are you you a resolutions kind of person or no? Oh, God, no. (laughs) I always used to be, right, New Year's resolution. I'm going to stop smoking. Two minutes after midnight, I'd be outside with a glass of Prosecco cigarette in hand. Yeah. So I just thought, no, not going to bother anymore. I did ask a couple of people on the podcast because a friend of mine who I was with on New Year's Eve said, what are you going to start? What are you going to stop? And what are you going to continue? And I liked that better than a resolution because I was like, oh, there are things I would like to start. There are things I'd like to stop, but not the kind of pressure of a resolution. You know what I mean? Because yeah, you and really things- are pressuring yourself, aren't you? Especially if you tell everyone. I know. (laughs) Though I think there is an accountability thing. So I guess telling people is good. But did you have a, so do you have a continue? How about that one? Let's pick that one. Do I have a continue? I'm going to continue writing. Very good. I'm going to continue railing against the stereotypes of age. And I am going to continue being irreverent. I love all of this. I feel like you've just tapped into the second chapter, like you were meant to be here. Perfect guest. So obviously, writing wasn't always your first career or you wouldn't be here. You started out in recruitment, I know, and then gave it up with your first child. Is that true? Yeah, I owned a recruitment agency and then I carried on working till the baby was a few months old. But when you're breastfeeding on the computer and then suddenly find yourself pregnant again, when the baby's six months old, something's got to give. So I took a career break. I've got three three sons. And then just as I'm thinking, they're older now, let's get back into it. My dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. So I went from caring for my children to helping care for my dad. So it, it obviously in the interim, I did temp work and I did some content writing. But once dad died, I think it's my time now. Let's just get back to it. And I can remember walking into a recruitment agency with my CV and I handed it over to a consultant and she looked at it. And of course, there were all these gaps and she just looked horrified. And the first thing that came out of my, out of my mouth was, I know I'm going to be a hard sell, but I am a really good candidate. Anyway, I didn't make an appointment to go back. I didn't register. 
And it just got me thinking, you know, there's so many people in that position. So many women who take a break to look after children or to look after elderly relatives. And then they find it difficult to get back into the workplace. I yeah. still had a gap. I interviewed someone who went back in at 49, I think it was. And her story was just, I don't even think she had as many breaks. It was just similar to me, actually. She'd done a lot of different things yeah. and went in. And they looked at her and said, you're too old. They literally, at 49 years old, told her oh, she yeah. was too old to be, I can't remember, looking for this new job or trying to pursue this new path or whatever it was. And you just think, surely you can't say that, but it happens. And I think obviously there's no credit given for the breaks that women tend to take for mothering or for caregiving. And also there's no credit given for experience and maturity and statistically a person in their 50s starting a new job will stay in that job longer than somebody in their 20s. That's fascinating. That's a statistic I haven't read. And yeah. of course, I'm always quoting these. We're likely to live this long and we probably will have this many jobs. But that is really interesting. Because I suppose when you think about it, when you're younger, you're on that career ladder, aren't you? And you're just going to keep going up and up and up and up and up. And when you're in your 50s, you're, just, you're more stable. You know what yeah. you're looking for. So I thought, wouldn't it be a great idea to set up a recruitment agency that specialised in helping um, in the 50s get back in, into work. So I'm doing I'm setting it up. I'm doing all this work behind the scenes. I've got training providers on board. The press was booked. And then March 23rd happened and we went into lockdown. Yes. So that was it. My fledgling business was no more. Was it something that be, obviously there weren't jobs necessarily recruiting because nobody was bringing people into offices and things like that. But was it also just, what about the pandemic said it couldn't happen? Or what about lockdown made it just defunct? People weren't recruiting. People weren't going to the offices. And of course, it's all this, all you're hearing on the news is we have this pandemic, this virus, which targets people of an older demographic. So everything just, it just seemed to stop. So fledgling business hit the wall. I had two sons home from uni, one son homeschooling. I had perimenopausal anxiety and then I had lockdown anxiety. And when it got to the point where if anyone left the house when they came back in, I had to spray them with Zoflora. I thought, yeah, <laughs> something has to give here. I have to do something to, to work on my levels of anxiety. Yeah. And then really coincidentally, as if somebody was telling, giving me a sign, I read a couple of lines from Fifty Shades Grey. Which I have to say, sorry. <laughs> and I've never, I've, sorry that you did that. <laughs> I've never read the book. I've never seen the film. So I just read this little snippet and I thought, I had this really guttural response to it. I just thought, no, bullshit. Women aren't like that. We've got cellulite. We snag our tights. We sometimes struggle to walk in heels and we get frizzy hair. And then that just got me thinking, wouldn't it? funny to take a book like that and just turn them on the head. So make them funny, but with a, a body positive heroine who knows her own boundaries and isn't afraid to say no. And that's where the idea for wax whips and my hair bits came from. <laughs> Even just the name makes me laugh. <laughs> I wanted it to be absolutely clear that it was a comedy. Yeah. 
I didn't want people to, yeah, I just I didn't want people to read it and think, oh, it's going to be full on Bumjikawawa. You know, <laughs> I wanted them to know this was a funny book. And honestly, I cannot tell you how much I laughed when I was writing it because I spoke to friends and I got some of their experiences and then I looked at the famous scenarios in erotic books and I thought, so let's turn on its head. Wouldn't it be funny if this happened? And honestly, I just laughed and laughed. I was waking up at two o'clock in the morning, having ideas and just like lying in bed, giggling. I love it because I had a moment, I love it for a lot of reasons, but I did have a moment post-divorce or post-separation where I was thinking about going back on the dating scene. And it was like, what do people expect? Because I had been with my ex-husband for since I was a teenager, so forever. And one of the thoughts, and this is why I like the wax and the hairy bits part, but it was like, what do people expect down there? (laughs) Because I knew that A, my down there looked different than it had when I had started dating my now ex-husband. But I also was like, there are trends and I'm not on board with some of them. (laughs) This is what she does. She starts researching and one of the first things she does is, how am I going to get an erotica-ready family? So that's where the hair remover comes in. And of course, it all ends terribly for her. She's a terrible allergic reaction. So that goes out of the window. Yes. So I actually did a stand-up routine where I was talking about this. And it was funny because when I did it for a room full of women, they thought it was hysterical. But Um, when I did it with a mixed crowd, I remember seeing some of the men in the audience getting very uncomfortable. But I know I've seen video footage of somebody who left your review with their husband reading your book and he he couldn't breathe. He was crying. It's men either love it or they absolutely hate it with a passion. I mean, I was described on one of the news articles, somebody put a comment on, and it was clearly uh, clearly written by a man hating feminist. What? Because I've written about a woman who knows her own boundaries, yes. who's in control of her own destiny. That makes me a man hating feminist. Or maybe it was because she dripped hot wax on the bell end. They don't tend to like that. <laughs> So I thought this was a really original question, but as I've done some research before chatting with you, a lot of people have asked you this question, but how much of this was based on your own experiences? How much of this did you have to research? And I know you've told a lot of people, pure fiction. Absolutely. I get the two things I get asked the most is, firstly, is that you on your book cover? It's been many years since I had a lot of tiles, so no, it's not me on book cover. And secondly, is it based on your own experiences? Absolutely, hand on heart. No, I'm boring. I was probably a bit of a prude before I started writing it. I had to spend a lot of time on the Urban Dictionary. I've been with my husband 30 years. I'm not, you know, (laughs) I haven't been there. And I'm sure most of the stories of these kind of mishaps, because I know that the full title is Wax Whips and My Hairy Bits, an erotic comedy of errors. So I'm sure a lot of these comedy of errors are things that have not inspired you to be less boring (laughs) with your husband. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So Fifty Shades of Grey inspired you to sit down and write something that you felt was more realistic. But 
I guess you said all these ideas kept popping into your head. Like, where were they coming from? What kind of kept you going? Because I don't think as somebody who maybe wasn't your career to write, why did it keep coming to you or how did you keep going? It was just, like I said, it was, it's like some random things. It's erotic, apparently Campbell Wax and somebody. So you take that scenario, how could you make that go wrong? Films like, do you remember um, Fatal Attraction? Mm-hmm. And they have sex in the kitchen over the, over the sink. That's barely hygienic. You get pasta going everywhere. So it was literally taking scenarios like that and just being practical and making things funny. And once they started, I really, I just gone throughout. And I feel like having been on your Instagram page and everything, you've, I don't want to say you've adopted a persona because obviously you've got all this life to you. You're, you've said you're a foul-mouthed northerner, all this kind of stuff. Do you feel like you've kind of adopted this persona that goes along with the author of these erotic comedy of errors? I suppose I've partially had to adopt a persona, but I think I probably do have quite a wicked sense of humor as well. And I've reached a point in my life and I've reached that age where I don't give a fuck. Yeah. If you like me, if you don't like me, you don't like me. If I make you laugh, that's brilliant. If I don't, sorry about that. And you did mention that you that you want to continue fighting ageism. You said it better than that. But do you think because you've written this book and the, the women who've embraced it and where you are in life, this is the longest question to get to what I'm asking. But yeah, yeah how, has that led you to take up this mantle of like really fighting for women past a certain age? Or do you think that was stemming from the recruitment thing? I think this has really made me want to fight for women of a certain age because... Why, once you hit 50, why should you become invisible? Why should you wear beige? Why should you start shopping at Marks and Spencer's? We've got so much life in us. We're not old. We're nowhere near old. And who the fuck dictates what old is? This thing I find really frustrating. Madonna, she's too old to be touring. At, she's 64. Who have the right to dictate that she's 12 at 64. She might not feel old till she's 96. So that really infuriates me that society dictates what they perceive as old. And you know what infuriates me as well, though, is also how old is equated with you shouldn't, like you said, you shouldn't, you have to wear beige or you... I talked to a woman for the podcast last week who's 88 and she said all of a sudden at 80, she was like, I'm old. (laughs) And but that's not a bad thing. She's 80. Now she's 88. She is old, but she hasn't equated that with I'm old. That means I have to be boring or not be do like anything. Yeah. Because nobody's going to say in your 20s, this has to be your personality. You are this person because mm. you're there might be stereotypes, but it's not wear this, do this, whatever. It's like, why, why, even if you are old, why does that have to mean a certain thing? Yeah, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. And I do believe you you are you are as old as you feel you are as old as you feel and that should dictate how you live your life yeah and not not other people and not society yeah and like you said 50 that's definitely not old and there is so you think about it if when you get to 50 you're defined as old then if you live to your 90 then you've got 40 years <laughs> 40 years being old. That's what the, this woman, that Catherine, that I was speaking about and, before, she said what she noticed in her 80s is that people who are 60 
everything was over 60. It wasn't over 60, over 70, over 80. She was like, I'm being clumped in the same category as somebody who's 60, but you're not the same at 50 or 60 or 80. So just to say a blanket statement that someone's old. Yeah, it's completely, isn't it? And I find, because I've been doing TikTok, and it's just the most ageist platform. I get described as being on old person TikTok. What even is old person TikTok? (laughs) You know, so there's someone TikTok and I'm doing it for all those over 50s. Because what is it? It's TikTok, the preserver of the young. Why is everything the preserver of the young? That is absolutely true. And then, of course, there's the sexist thing as well. Because like you said, somebody might say Madonna's too old, but you don't hear that a lot about, I don't know, I saw the Rolling Stones play. Say Mick Jagger. But nobody's, you know, you don't really hear that about Mick Jagger or whatever. There's always been this thing, hasn't there? This discrepancy between men and women aging gracefully. So age, the way they age. So men, when they age and they get gray, they're distinguished, aren't they? And handsome and we're past it. Exactly. I want to go back to the book. I know the book was self-published or now the books. So what made you, I don't know, I've talked to people who have self-published and they just were impatient or there was not, that people were afraid to take something on. But for you in particular, what happened that led you to self-publish? When I wrote it, I didn't really expect that it would sell many copies. And I was hoping I might make the odd woman laugh. I didn't think for one minute a publisher would take me on. It was my first attempt. I wrote it under a pseudonym because I thought if it's shit, I don't even have to acknowledge it. No, nothing to do with me. In fact, I could join in with other women talking about how shit it was. <laughs> um, so it did take me by surprise how popular it became. And I do regularly go out to literary agents because you need to get a literary agent in order to get a mainstream publisher. But in their bios, they're all asking for stories that will resonate through the years and bring light into the dark. I've got a fucker, a cock, and an arse in my first paragraph. They're not going to go for it. They really aren't. But it doesn't stop me trying. <laughs> but, but in a way, that's sort of bringing light into the darkness it- There's different ways to bring light into the darkness. And I made the joke about Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm sorry, you read a few lines. And to be perfectly fair to everyone who likes Fifty Shades of Grey, I only read a few lines, but I read it over someone's shoulder on the tube. And I was like, I cannot bring myself to read more. Like, you know, I was curious, oh, will I read this book? And I was so not a fan of the three or four lines that I read and thought that it was written in a way that did not interest me at all. I don't know. It is interesting what gets chosen and what doesn't. Yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey was initially self-published, apparently. But obviously, I, I do try. I've tried with two agents. I've tried with mainstream publishers. I've had the number two best-selling book out of all the books on Amazon. I was just going to is- say, hold on. Being self-published yeah. has not stopped the success of this book. <laughs> I've proven that women want to read my book. That's not enough for the literary establishment and mainstream publishing. And I find it quite sad because a lady messaged me and she said, you really enjoyed it. I understood it. It made me laugh. And the thing is, publishers push these books on us and I read them and I don't understand how. But the more they reject me, the more they turn me down, the more determined I get to prove them wrong. So there we go. (laughs) 
And as you mentioned, you've been in major papers. I know that you were a caller on this morning and they were chatting with you and they they loved you. They were laughing and please send us this book. It sounds amazing. It's not like being self-published has, like I said, meant not a lack of success or a lack of attention at this point. Yeah. I suppose the issue comes when you have a mainstream publisher, then you have access to their advertising and their marketing and they can really put you out where you can't get yourself. I've done really well, but it's, it's just, it would just be having that marketing campaign behind you and that advertising campaign. And also I can't get my books in bookshops. I'm just on Amazon. I tried to, I wanted, there was a competition for women comedy writers, women that had written comedy books. I couldn't enter because I was self-published. Ah, I know it's awful, isn't it? Poo. I feel like that's not an uncommon thing now to be self-published. So that kind of surprises me because... No, yeah, you had to, you had to have a mainstream publisher in order to enter. So <laughs> I'm thinking about that, like, how can we get around that? Oh, I know. <laughs> As if I'm going to come up with something right here now. What if we do this? <laughs> so that is a lot, that is a lot of snobbery toward self-publishing. It's a second-class citizen of the literary world. But you know what, literati, you got it wrong. Yeah, they're missing out because you're selling tons of copies of this book. So, <laughs> And as far as the new book, where are you headed with that? With Wax Whips and My Hairy Bits, I've taken Anne's story as far as I can. Mm. So I thought, let's try something absolutely brand new. And the working title of my new book is Blackpool Divas. And it's the fictitious autobiography of a reality TV star. Oh, I like it. So we'll see where that one takes me. Being an American, okay, I live in London. I've lived here 12 years. So I have a vision of Blackpool. But when you say Blackpool Divas, and there's a lot of people listening around the world, can you give a, I don't know, a UK stereotype definition or a Blackpool Something that will bring that alive a bit more for people. <laughs> okay, so Blackpool has been described as the Las Vegas of the North. It was probably quite complimentary. So it's a classic northern seaside town. We have Kiss Me Quick Hat. You'll often see somebody sucking on a bath of sausage. Um, we have the tower, the promenade. So Blackpool, the reality TV show contestants are just going to have to do Blackpool things. So they're going to have to go to the Pleasure Beach because we have this wonderful theme park. And they're going to have to run along the beach and go to the Funny Girls Fabulous Nightclub and just do fabulous Blackpool things. No, actually, I can't tell you because that would be my reveal. My girl is going to find the whole Northern thing very difficult because she's not a Northerner. That's super helpful because I do feel like I think that there are different connotations here. And like you said, the Las Vegas of the North, but you being from the area, is it a little bit closer to home for you? Is it? I found when you're Northern and you come from a town like Blackpool, you do encounter a fair bit of snobbery. This is me getting my own back, basically. And the times I've been to London, oh gosh, I went to see my son a few months ago and we went to Sainsbury's and, um, as I was being served, I started chatting to the lady behind the counter and I could see he had this look of horror on his face. She had a look of horror on her face. I thought she was going to like press some kind of like bell and he was just shaking his head and saying, no, 
no. And as we walk out, I said, Mom, you've forgotten you can't just randomly chat to people in London. (laughs) You know, that poor woman was probably scared of you, Mom. You can't do it. It's so funny because I remember moving to New York City and being in tears. I think I've told the story in the podcast before. So listeners, apologies if you've heard this, but moving to New York City, trying to pay the bill and they had the change in hand. Obviously I was using money. I feel like this is already dating the story, but they had change in hand already and I couldn't pay quickly enough. They were like, oh, you know, waiting. And I was in tears because I was a mid-sized city girl in the big city Everybody was too impatient for me. Nobody wanted to chat. Like you said, couldn't have a random conversation. However many months or maybe a year or so later, went back home to Cincinnati, was in the local mini mart (laughs) kind of thing. And the woman's like, oh, how are you? Woman I've never met before, just wants to have a nice, perfectly polite conversation. And I was like, oh my God, I need to get out of here. Let's go, let's go. And it's amazing how the big city the big city changes you, you turn, you turn. But there is, I mean, I definitely, my, my partner's from the Midlands and there is definitely a line that you cross and suddenly it's like, you're not allowed to be quite as nice to people. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> when she came 25, do not talk to anyone. You are in London now. <laughs> I think, you know, you've had a, um, a, a lot of bravery, um, both subject matter and, you know, self and just saying you're going to make it happen and, you know, talking up and talking up what you've done, um, fully deserved, by the way. But um, that that feel bold about all of it, what do you have to say? Don't let your fear define you because I was a quivering wreck before I started writing. And even now I do lack confidence. If I know a newspaper article is going in, I will be terrified because I think you know, people are going to say really, really horrible things about me. But if I let my fear get the best of me, I wouldn't have done anything. Yeah. And if I say to everyone that doubts themselves, I am literally a menopausal, northern, nobody who can literally just swear in context. If I can do it, then you can and just have faith in yourself and don't listen to people around you. People telling you you can't do something. Just have faith in yourself because if somebody doesn't like you because they don't, you don't fit in their box, just tell them to shove that box up their ass because you are <laughs> unique to you. Oh, boxes. Like you're going to, you're going to fit in someone's box. <laughs> that sounds, God, <laughs> in the context of what we're talking about, that sounds terrible. <laughs> what I will say though about the box in order for me not to actually have to go into things too much detail, she doesn't get to have sex very often. Poor thing. <laughs> I know. Everything that happens, everything she tries goes horrendously wrong. But that was great for me because it got me off to talk. Thing like Fifty Shades of Grey or something or any kind of erotica, even stuff that's meant for women. A lot of times I just find like some of the terminology... I like that you're just kind of out there. Sometimes they try to romanticize it a bit. And it's just, I don't know. I can't think of another word besides just kind of barfy. Like, it's like, oh, God, that's not, like you said, it's not how it is. <laughs> but that's what Anne does while she, when she's like readying herself to take on this erotic persona and she's thinking about talking dirty. 
And she runs through some scenarios, some sentences, and then she just says, no, fuck it. I can't say this shit. I'm not going to do it. Because uh, it's like, ugh. <laughs> that is exactly what she's like. She's just, no. I don't think that's why, that's why women like her, because she's a little bit of everyone, I think. Yeah, of course, you Funny. know, ever get and have these laughs for themselves. Um, <laughs> I, the video that I saw in the review of the men reading it, they were on holiday and he wasn't <laughs> even to chapter two. And he was just like, he could not, he was crying. I was like, this man is laughing so hard he's crying. I loved it. <laughs> Bless him. Oh, no. So good. And I love that somebody... But it is funny that some of the worst reviews I've had have been from men. And I just think that's quite telling. going to like it. I mean, men, whatever. You know, people are going to like it. People are going to not like it. But at the same yeah. time, like when it's a man writing a bad review, you're kind of like, is it really for you? I mean, I don't think that's who you had in mind. Put it that way. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's men have enjoyed it. It's definitely one to the women. Yes. Yes. Fair enough. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't have to be for everybody. I think I'm really lucky that, you know, I have heard from quite a few men that they really enjoy listening to the podcast. But at the end of the day, if I'm inspiring women who have done these things, women who have made these changes, and I'd like to think that there are a lot of women that, you know, are hearing what you're saying about not having the fear or fear or just, you know, that can laugh along with us because they've been in the situation of like, I wouldn't have sex over the sink. It's dirty. (laughs) Yes, dirty in the bad way, not in the good way. (laughs) Well, I always ask someone to bring a quote, and I know you have a quote for me today. So, would you be willing to share your quote, please? This is from my grandma, Angel. She was French Lebanese, and she always used to say, "The time to be happy is now." So, yeah, I love that. I'm doing that. Yeah, it's just it's short, it's to the point, and it is the time to be happy is now because. None of us know what's going to happen tomorrow, do we? I really love that too, in the sense that if you just say that to yourself yourself every day or every minute, like there's no time not to be happy. You just, you have to do it. (laughs) Or at least try. Maybe I'll embroider that on a pillow because I like that. Get it too dumb. Yes, that's so much better than like just a massive tattoo. (laughs) Maybe both. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what What else do you want to tell people? What else do I want to tell people? I think I've probably said everything I want to say, just in terms of don't be defined by age. Don't let anybody tell them you can't do something. Menopause, it's not an end. It can be a new beginning. And it is shit and it is horrible. And I do call my son by my dog's name. But I will get through it. It's given me a renewed confidence because I don't give a shit. If I looked back and I thought about myself in my 20s and I told myself I would write a book writing about sex and containing a lot of swearing, I'd have been horrified. Been horrified because I would have said, oh, you can't do that when you're 50. It is funny because I guess statistically, probably people get more conservative as they get older. But I feel like with each passing day, I'm just getting, I don't know, less horrified by the idea of <laughs> the idea that I could write yes. a book about sex and you know, swear or whatever. <laughs> the mantra I think that I'm, I'm going to live by is always be the eccentric anti to wedding. And that's, yes, that's me. <laughs> I love that. Yes, that is absolutely perfect. Um, when can we expect the book? You're just starting. That's a mean question. I'm just starting this one because obviously a lot of my time is taken up promoting the others 
which is why I need a publisher. Mm. Any publishers listening? But yeah, in the next couple of months, I think I should finish. But in the foreword where she's thanking her fans, she says, I'd like to thank my fans that made me the winner of Black and Divas um, because you have given me the opportunity to get a book deal, a series about made about my day-to-day life and numerous appearances on daytime television. You have given me opportunities that genuinely talented people will never experience. <laughs> so that's my vibe. Very good. But in the meantime, we have wax whips in my hairy bits. And if you search that, Dude. you'll find all the the other books that go along with it. Thank you, Stephanie, Steph, so much for joining me today. It's been so much fun talking to you. And good luck with the next book. Thank you so much. And hopefully we'll speak again yes, soon. Definitely. Thank you. All right, my darling. Cheers. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, this is the last episode of season eight. We'll be back February 28th. But in the meantime, tell a friend about the second chapter. There are 86 episodes to catch up on. I look forward to being back with you at the end of February. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on Instagram and sign up for the second chapter newsletter. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. You can find us at thesecondchapterpodcast.com and slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.